This is Eric Nevlin and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Well, bloody hell, when it rains, it pours. Minutes before kickoff, we hear of Mitro's impending departure with a medical in Paris for then to be stuffed 3-0 by our local rivals with a hospital pass, a B-dive, and down to 10 men. Felt like it was a very old scab that got ripped off on Saturday, and out it comes pouring not only grief and anger towards our former number nine, but manic frustration with our transfer window, where we might as well be called Interested FC at the moment. It's a jungle out there, especially now we need a top striker. Lots to talk about this week, as and as I'm sure you must be sick of hearing about it on about 24 other Fulham podcasts. What's one more kick in the balls on a Wednesday morning? With me are Matthew Baldwin and Luke Sargent. I'm Jay Mack, and this is your Fulham Focus podcast. Fulham. Hello, lads. So I, I've I've literally just come back from holiday. I landed about four hours ago, and uh, I can't say that that was <laughs> that wasn't very. I can't say that wasn't helpful for the shite that's gone on here. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll get your opening thoughts before we shoot through Brentford. Um, Sarge, I'll come to you first. Uh, quite a, a a bleak week already, really, isn't it? Been um a tough one to take, hasn't it? The whole metro going losing to Brentford all in the space of about twelve hours. It all kind of came to a head um sort of yeah dreary summer that we've had weather-wise has bled into, <laughs> bled into <laughs> Fulham. it's just uh yeah it's not it's not been how I imagined it would be when we were eulogized over the season earlier um earlier on in this earlier on in the year but I don't, I don't know you've got to roll with it haven't you and, you know we've lost players before we've lost matches before we just, we just we've got to move again Got to keep going. I know. We'll come on to the Mitchell thing. We don't want to go on about it too long because, I mean, Baldo, what are your thoughts at the moment before we go into just the Brentford highlights really briefly? I think it's utter despair, if I'm being honest. I know me, <laughs> yeah. you, know, me you and Morgan were in the, on the um, on the season preview. That's right. And I can't remember the time and I can't remember the timing of it all, but there was that point where, you know, quotes came out that Mark, you know, Mitrovic would say, oh, I only want to... I, no, I only wanted to leave because Marcus Silva was going to leave and all that sort of stuff. So as soon as Marcus Silva, it became clear he was going to stay, I thought, oh, fine, Mitrovic, he's, he's going to stay. It was all great. And then I firmly believed after all that, yeah, it was all good, especially after coming on against Everton. And then just to have everything just taken take, taken away from you in in that moment, just it's just, as I said, just utter despair that, we're at we're at this stage of the transfer window and arguably of the season, and the Fulham fan and I I believe most Fulham fans' optimism has just gone completely like that. Well, the optimism certainly did go with all of that in mind, but also the three nil defeat at the cottage. I don't think any of us were expecting this. I mean, Sarge, this was a game that actually I don't think is a sliding doors sort of game. Really, I mean, I think we can safely say Brentford were easily the better team. But if it wasn't for that hospital pass from Diop, I think maybe something else could have happened. I don't know. What do you think? I think we we didn't play badly. We didn't, we didn't play well. Let's just get that out straight away. We didn't play well. Hmm. We didn't play badly. And the first half was a really even game. They They had better chances. They looked more like scoring than we did from the first whistle. But we were in the game. 
we were very much in the game. And had Diop not you know, played that hospital pass, then we, we'd probably go in at half-time nil-nil. And it's, it's very much game on. And yeah. even in the second half, I think we started the second half quite well. We started the second half with more of the ball. We were in their area of the pitch. You know, we, we looked probably more in control of the game than they did at that point. And then the penalty happens. And it's, it's just one of those things, like you say, a bit sliding doors. Two moments happen that really do affect the way the game pans out. And it's tricky because, like I said, we didn't play well. We didn't look like scoring. But I also don't think we'd look like a team that deserved to lose 3-0. So it's, it's tricky. It's, it's, I think there's a lot of things compounding at once. Make, probably makes this feel worse than it actually is. We're only two games into the season. There's still business to be done. We are still a good team with good players and a good manager. I think it's just right at this particular moment, everything seems to be conspiring against us to put us in a rotten mood. But I think after the international break, we've got to get past Arsenal and City. After the international break, we've got some winnable games and we've just got to make sure that we're in a position to come back and attack those. I feel like as we're talking about the Brentford game, we're really talking about sort of actually the, the bigger problems at hand here because the Brentford game actually now feels quite a long time away, thankfully as well, because we, we want to eradicate from that memory as, as soon as we can. But, Border, I mean, I've got all these points here that we were meant to talk about with the Brentford game, you know, the dive, the B-dive, uh, Ream Red, penalty forts, all this kind of thing. I mean, it, just your overall thoughts on this game, like Sarge has just done, really. I mean, don't want to go on it too long. Um, Yeah, I just think it... I don't. I don't think that they were three goals. I don't think that they were three goals better than that. You know, you can concede that they were the better side, and you know, arguably are a better run club at that at the moment. As much as that is hard to admit, but yeah, if no, if Diop's hospital pass happened in the tenth minute, say, it might be a whole lot different. But it does go back to that old cliche, like it's the perfect it's the perfect time to score and everything. You know, just going into half time and all that sort of stuff. So it may well be that. It you no, know, it could have gone a whole lot differently, and you know the, the Ream thing on an you know on another day doesn't get given you no know, doesn't get given as a penalty or a red and all that sort of stuff. Oh, I'm gonna I didn't think about this, but it's gonna have to come down to it. It's fine margins. It's Scott. It's the Scott Parker thing. Right. Um. Yeah. It's. It, I don't think that they were three nil. They. I don't think they were three goals better than us. But it is just still incredibly disheartening that it. You know, after all the. No hope and optimism that okay we can we can push on and you look at what happened you look what happened against Everton and you know oh we did well but we still have our players to come back we still have Mitro to get fully back into the fold we still have Yao Polina to get you know fully back into it all this stuff and then just no it's just right what what shape is the team re- what shape is the team really in mm. I, I, I don't know we can talk about. We can talk about the sort of the easily the refereeing on the decision of the penalty and the Tim Ream red card. I mean, that as far as I'm concerned, I think you guys agree with me, that's just unfortunate. Um, and I think what I really want to talk about, Sarge, is just before we move on to the other matter of Mitrovic, is that with Marcus Silva here, do you think that actually he got this wrong? Because I think the lineup. Even though Polina shouldn't necessarily be back straight away, there, there I feel that this was actually a bit of a mistake by him. And there were certain moments in the game in management where he's bringing on Rodrigo Muniz and you're thinking, what on earth are you doing? And I I, I don't know, maybe maybe Vinicius should have been playing instead of Jimenez. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but, you know, this is a guy who actually scored against him a few last month in the USA. I, just your thoughts on Marcus Silva's hand at this. There's, an, there's definitely an argument for Vinicius to start up top 
But he started Jimenez up front against Everton. Yeah. Jimenez is probably ahead of Vinicius and, and you want to get Jimenez sort of bedded in, I guess, if especially if we're sort of waiting for a new striker to come in as well. You kind of want Jimenez bedded in and everyone knowing how to work with him and, and to get the best from him. So I can understand why that happened. Palinha, if he's fit, he should he should play. Maybe they were cautious. They didn't want to throw him straight in. I'm, I'm not sure that that's something that you need to worry about with the type of injury he had. I mean, if his shoulder's up to it, his shoulder's up to it. If it's not, it's not. It doesn't matter what point in the game he comes shoulder to shoulder with someone. So you would think he should be able to start the game. He, he didn't miss a massive preseason, and the injury that he had meant that he could have kept his fitness and his sharpness up by playing, you know, in training games and things like that with the team anyway. So it was odd that he didn't start. That being said, I don't think we lost the game because Jao Palinha didn't start. Um, we lost the game because of two errors, one ours, one the referees, and a lack of firepower. That that seems to be what it is. Elsewhere in the team, I'm not really sure that he had Mark had many other options. William seemed to pick up a knock against Everton last week in the first half and came off at half time. And Bobby Reed changed the game when he came on, to be fair, and scored the winning goal. So I'm not sure there were many other options in terms of in terms of selection. Um, yeah, the moon is the moon is thing is weird. The moon is thing is definitely a, it's definitely a talking point at, at this stage because Vinicius was clearly ahead of Moon is in the plans last season. Moon is went out on loan. Vinicius was here, played a fair share of games, and even in preseason, the minutes that we saw them given in preseason suggested Carlos Vinicius was ahead of Rodrigo Muniz. So for Moon is to come on at that point was odd. The only thing I can think of is the game was gone, and he's thinking. I'll give Rodrigo Muniz some minutes. Let's see how he does. I need to make a decision on whether or not I keep him around or not, where he's worth keeping around. Sure. That's the only thing I can think of. But even that doesn't really ring true because you see him every day in training. That's that's it. That's it. I mean, Baldo, I'll come to you. Obviously, you mentioned Bobby Reed there, Sarge did. And um, I think actually it was right. He should have stayed. Actually, all of us scored a goal. We hit the crossbar anyway. And that was probably our only exciting point of the game. I, I just want to talk to Baldo about this. And then, Sarge, you can chip in. I just want to know, Sasa Lukic, right? Is he good or is he quite pedestrian? I'm trying to figure it out. Because to me, I, I, I was told that this was sort of like a, a new number eight who can Played a defensive, like you know, played played a defensive midfield role and have a bit of bite going forward. At the moment, I still don't know if he's still taking time to adapt his game, but he feels a bit like we've got Maxime Lamarche on in midfield, like just kind of very safe, very passenger. And I'm I'm just wondering, we might have done a bit of a dud here. And I just want your thoughts on that, both of yours. But I'll start with you, Border. No, I think you said it right. I think he's he's a safe option. I don't think you know he is not as good as Giapolina. He is not as good as Harrison Reed. Whatever role you want to. Or role or position you want to give Sas, you know, Sasha Lukic in the um in the midfield, he's not as he's not as good as the other ones. But as a backup option, I think so far he's done okay. Like I know there were some doubts uh, with what he done, you know, going back to going back to last season. But now that he's had some time to adapt to the squad and adapt to the Premier League and all that sort of stuff, I yeah, I look at it. I'm I don't feel worried if ever I see him on the you no know, on the team sheet. Like I was worried when Max. You no, know, just to use your comparison, I was worried when Maxine Lamarchand was on the was on the team sheet. I would be worried if Kevin and Babu it shows up on the team sheet. If I'm looking at a team sheet and it says you know for whatever game you know Reed you no know, Reed's injured, Paulinho suspended, which is quite possible this year, and it says Sasaluk Luke Kitchen to Tom Kenny in midfield. I don't look at that and I don't look at that and say oh we're 
we're we're in trouble there. I think he is a I think he's a safe backup option. You know, if the Paulinha transfer had gone through this season, um, uh, this summer rather, which which was being noted, um, and we had to deal with Lukic for the whole season again, I would be slightly worried. But as as a backup option, you know, to cover for either uh, Paulinha or Reed, I think he's I think he's a pretty good. I think he's a pretty good option, personally. I think he's a good player. I think he's a really useful player to have in the team. He provides an element of control. I just wonder if the the stage we're at in terms of the way we've built our squad for the start of this season, that Danny says it a lot and he's right. It's horses for courses. And I think the course that we're on right now probably isn't the course that gets the best out of Sasha Lukic in the sense that we're not in a position at this moment in time to control and dictate games. I think what you'll see from Sasha Lukic when we play, for example, if, if he plays, if we, when we play against the likes of Luton, Sheffield United, um, Nottingham Forest, teams that are quite happy to sit in and let us have the ball, particularly at home, I think Sasha Lukic will come to the fore in those sorts of games. I think when we're in these sort of like even and tighter games, which we're in at the moment, partly because we don't have that focal point up front and we kind of look a little bit rusty and the squad hasn't really come together yet. We're missing a few bodies. I think he's safe, like Baldo said. He's not going to really make mistakes and he's he's solid, but he's not going to impact the game in the way that I think he might do when we're seeing a lot of the ball. In those games where we rack up 60% possession, which doesn't happen a lot for us in the Premier League, but it will happen a few times. Sure. That's when you're going to probably see the best of Sasha Lukic because he is good on the ball. He's technically proficient. He looks for the forward passes. That's where I think he'll come into his own. I think we're just not quite in the right space for him at the moment. And again, if we had Mitrovic, then Sasha Lukic can look for that forward pass to Mitrovic and be confident that we're going to hold on to the ball. And at the moment, we're just not making it stick up the top end of the pitch, which means we're not really getting anything out of him. Uh, in terms of, you know, forward thinking play. It's all quite reactive, which, you know, he's fine with, but it's not what he's best at. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think everything you're saying is completely spot on. I think also another thing will be interesting is what, what Sasa Lukic can maybe provide us once we, if we uh, get, you know, the obvious defensive midfielder that we're after, the Pablo Maya or the Andre Trindad, you know, all these sort of defensive midfield players that we're obviously in the market for as well. Fred, who's now obviously off to Turkey, that, that maybe that might unlock something and give him a new lease of life as well. But anyway, I mean, look, we, uh, we don't. We've we haven't talked as in depth about Brentford as we probably should have done in terms of comparison of other podcasts and punditries. But what I will say is Brentford losing at Brentford isn't something particularly new for us, particularly at the cottage. Unfortunately, we just have to hope that we can return the favour at the GTEC for the first time, and I, I, I'm sure we will because by the looks of this game, I really think that was more of a one nil defeat rather than a three nil, and we were very unfortunate. Um, I'd like to move on actually, if that's all right, lads, to Mitrovic, and I'll start with you on this, Bordo, because I've planned this in my head for Fulham Focus for quite a while. This really romantic, lovely pod for Mitrovic, you know, some nice music, some montage at the beginning, and us talking about our favourite memories of him. And you know, as you said at the beginning of the pod, Bordo, that it was we, we thought we had got through this. Silver said actually he he's looking to stay. He wants to prove himself, and like you know, he's a passionate guy. All that nonsense, and he, he has gone. And I'll just I'll just quote Marcus Silver what he actually said to you about Mitrovic 
I think you already read it, but I'll read it out as well for the listeners. It's about him leaving. So he forced it, but I'm not saying if I'm disappointed in him. Everything of my opinion, I told him myself in private. That's one quote. And then when asked about Mitrovic's approach to leaving the club by forcing an exit, Silva replied, if you ask me if this is normal, no. Should football's players behave in this way? No. Easy answer. Um, I just want to kind of start there, Bordeaux, and just your overriding thoughts on the the farewell of Alexander Mitrovic from our lovely club. Um, honestly, I think the club and I think the majority of outlets that I've seen, you know, us included, have sort of had have sort of handled it what I think is the right way. This could have been a glorious, you know, send off and everything, but again, we touched on the season preview. The way that this has gone about just leaves a very sour taste in the mouth. Like, like this could have been like this. He is a player that is arguably statue worthy at Craven Cottage. I'm not. I'm not saying he is or should get it above the likes of Jimmy Hill or Alan Mullery or all that lot. But he is in the discussion. He or at least he would have been in the discussion to have a statue at some point in the future. Now I think that the way he has left the club has has tarnished, has tarnished the legacy. Now uh, our outlet put it. Uh, brilliant. I can't recite it. I can't recite it word for word. But go back to you know at Fulham at Fulham underscore folks on Twitter to look for to look for the statement that was put out by our glorious owner Danny. He sort of sums it up. He sort of sums it up perfectly. You know? Yeah, that was a really and good post. Of, uh, yeah, and the the you know the comments have sort of been echoed, you know, somewhat echoed by Marco Silva. Is again the way this is handled has you know ruined what would be. Now this has been touched on. I, I think mainly in our mainly in our group chat, but. Has there ever been a player, or when was the last player that had a relationship with the fans the way that Alexander Mitrovic has had with it? I, you could make the argument, using my knowledge, probably it's someone like Lewis Boamorte. You know, it's, it's just a great connection with the fans, and everyone, everyone, no one says about, no one says a bad word about Boa. And again, he sort of left in a bit in a few weird circumstances as well. But yeah, it's just. Shame that we're having to talk about Mitrovic in this way rather than, oh, he moved to Spurs to replace Harry Kane. Yep, that's the natural progression for someone like him. Go for it. Or he's gone to Man United to be their next number nine. Fine, it's progression, move for it. But a, you know, step forward financially, but in terms of uh, the league he's playing for, a big step backwards just leaves a huge sour taste in the mouth. Is this... Anything new, though, Sarge? I'm not trying to wind anyone up listening to this or you guys speaking about it, but I mean, it, you know, football player leaves smaller. Okay, no, okay, that doesn't work because he's not leaving for a bigger club. But you know what I mean? Football player loved, but football player leaves for more money to a new club. We've seen it all before. If this was AC Milan, he was going to or into Milan as you know previously linked or Man United, it, it would soften the blow somewhat, would you say? There's so much anger about it being Al Halal, uh, or, or maybe the liking of Instagram photos. I'm just trying to find some nuance here to say that maybe can time be a healer for Mitrovic in the eyes of the fans, or is it really as cold cut as like, you're, you're done, mate, for all of us? I think that's just it. I think it's where he's gone as much as how it's happened. Louis Saha it's not... It's not very different in the sense of how the transfers come around. He wanted to go. Someone wanted to buy him. They were willing to pay the money. He's gone. Um, but it's where he's gone. It's, it's, it's a combination of things. Where he's gone and how it's been done, it does leave a sour taste. He, Everything that Baldo said is spot on. I, I, don't, I don't need to retread that. 
I think it's it's just disappointing. I think that's that's the only way you can put it. As a fan, it's disappointing. He has come through the last year with the suspension and the way the fans got behind him. And something that hasn't come up that we, as as a group, that we haven't really spoken about, but I do remember when the suspension happened, uh, Tristan said he thinks Mitrovic will want to leave because he believes that he's quite sensitive and the sort of the media backlash and the witch hunt that kind of went with it, you know, the, the ban and everything else, how it all kind of swelled around him in that moment for something that, wasn't acceptable and none of us here defended it but is something that happened you know fairly routinely at various points in various seasons previously and didn't get the same sort of furore around it and Tristan made the point that he felt that that would probably lead Mitrovic to wanting to leave the club this summer and then he came back and there was Serbian flags in the crowd and it, it seemed like we'd gotten past it and I wonder if that has had an impact on this a bit. The money is obviously the big one. That's the big selling point to go to Saudi Arabia, clearly. But I wonder if there is a part of him that's gone, sod it, I can get all this money and I'm not going to have everyone on my case for being this bad boy that everyone perceives me to be, despite the fact that I went five years without a red card before all of this happened. So I wonder if that has played a part in it. It, In my opinion, it probably has. Um... But, you know, it is what it is. I would say, if Mitrovic was going to leave Fulham Football Club and we were going to sell him, this was the window. This was the window to do it. I've just written a piece, actually, that will go out tomorrow, probably. So if you can't want to read it, just listen to what I'm about to say now. <laughs> this is like the Cliff Notes version. Or do both. Basically, um, season now what we've done around it doesn't marry up we as a club we need to respond to it now but this was the season selling because for the first time in his time at the club this is a summer where we are stable and settled we've we've not changed divisions for the first time in a summer since he's been with us so we are steady and and set up the team has shown that they're good enough the team has shown that they can compete without him he was missing for a third of last season and we we were comfortable. We got points. We got wins. We did it. I wouldn't want to have gone through the whole season without him, but the team knows they have the belief that they can play without him. Had this happened at the end of 43 goals, the team probably sits in the dressing room, realises Mitrovic is gone and goes, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this without him because they didn't have to. He played something like 44 of the 46 championship games. In the first Premier League season, he played 38 out of 38. You know, under Parker in the championship, he played pretty much the whole season until the hamstring injury in the playoffs. So then when he didn't play in the Premier League season under Parker, we went down. So this is the first time the team has gone for a season and has had success without him, really. And I think at his age, 28, with a buyer that probably doesn't exist in another time frame, you know, Saudis weren't spending money last summer. They're probably not going to be sniffing around in the same way next summer. We got top value for him, at his peak value, really, financially. And we're in a position where we can cope without him. So this was the summer for it to happen. The club now just has to respond and make sure they put the things in place to ensure that it's not a death knell. But yeah, this this was the best ending that we could have hoped for if he was going to leave, which, you know, is what's, what's happened, really. 
Yeah, and, and you know there are those are really good pros to take from that. And you know, like you said, I mean, people have said you know the, his ankles are made of poppadoms and just general vibes of him just not being very because uh, we scored nineteen goals without him technically while he was gone last season, and that, that's that's not bad. I mean, we didn't win the majority of the games that he didn't play, but we did score and 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 we didn't look bad on the eye either. Um, I guess the last question I'll put up on Mitro actually. I was going to mention this quote, um, but it kind of relate because the thing is about Mitrovic, he he obviously thrives off energy uh, from the fans and from people. You can just see from the way he reacts uh, to, to the crowd that that just is just something that he adores. He's very gladiatory, if that is a word. And I feel that it's such a shame it's come to this. But I remember there's this very famous quote from Rafa Benitez saying football, everything you know about football is a lie. And I think a lot, I think we were all so seduced by Mitrovic to believe that he could be the Johnny Haynes, the guy who stayed his whole time with us at the club. But at the end of the day, I think Boney said this in the pod a couple of weeks ago, you know, footballers do what footballers do, unfortunately. and, And this is nothing new. But it is very sad. And I, I guess the last question I can ask, really, I'll, I'll put this to Paul and enter, Sarge, you can just chip onto it. Can you see Mitrovic returning to a, a proper league again after this? Or do you think he'll just see out the rest of his career in Saudi? Uh, it depends on what you mean by pro- what you de- what you mean defined by proper league. Because everyone will have to say, like, is the Dutch right. league a proper league or is it a farmer's league? A so, European league, it, I'll say that. Let's a, do that. A, a European league. I think it will because I can't. I personally can't see this Saudi thing going. And again, we discussed. I can't see this being a 10, 15 years. I think it's something that will fizzle out. And with Mitrovic's age, I can see it being a you know three, four, five year thing. And then he may well get the itch to say, "No, I want to try it again." And at that age, again, it might well be that he goes to some team in Syria, in Syria, not necessarily into Milan or AC or Juventus or one of them. I could, I could definitely see him coming back to Europe, not necessarily with one of the big teams, but I think there will be the, I think there will be the inkling for him to come, come back to Europe at some point. I've got this theory, and it's, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit Cluedo, but I, I've got this theory that I, I, I think he's done this deal for the money, obviously, and, and for the elements of working with his friend Savage and having Neymar to his left, but I, I've got this feeling that. I think he's a Newcastle supporter and I've just got this vibe that he has an open window to go back to them potentially if they need some more depth in depth in numbers if they're going to be continuing their prospects in the Champions League and the like. I know that sounds a bit out there, but I've just I've just got this feeling that that might happen. We already saw when like Ruben Neves moved over to the same club that he there was a potential he might be loaned back to Newcastle and I just suddenly thought Wait a minute. I don't know if that will happen. I think I'm probably stretching too far there, but it's something that wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. And it would be quite, I don't know, all the more heartbreaking, really. But um, so is there anything you want to add on to that before we move on? I think Newcastle are probably past that point now. It sounds like I'm like throwing jabs at Mitrovic because he's out the door. But Newcastle yeah. are now, they're looking to establish themselves as the Champions League, you know team and, and they're, they're only really looking to move up. I think Mitrovic would have been the ideal striker to sort of spearhead that Newcastle team like right now um, right. and they've gone for like Isak and they've still got Callum Wilson who's, who's a very reliable goal scorer. So right. I think by the time it comes around for him to, to potentially be there, I think they'll be past that point, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think he will come. He's got a three-year deal. Um, football, football is about, and the reason the, the reason the Premier League does so well, and the reason the Championship does so well, is because people buy into the fan response, the fan reaction. They buy into everyone's relationship with football clubs. In Saudi Arabia, there's no relationship with football clubs. It, it's not. It doesn't exist. It's not organic. They're forcing something, and therefore. The TV deals are not going to be the TV deals that the Premier League gets. The reason the Premier League gets such good TV deals is because the product that you see on your TV with fans going crazy, falling over each other, cheering, celebrating goals, in, com- like in absolute despair, crying at relegation, that's not going to happen there. Yeah. So the product isn't going to be there and the TV, the TV deal isn't going to be there. And I just don't think people are going to watch it. I, I you know, I think there's a market for it in the sense of the Asian market might buy into it. The Middle Eastern market might buy into it. The European market is not going to start watching Saudi football just because Neymar's there. Ronaldo is there. We're not watching it for that because if that was the case, we would watch La Liga, but we don't. We just watch El Clasico. Mm. You know, that, that that's the way it works. We, we, we're not going to start watching these players. And realistically, I don't think it's going to last. So he's got his three-year deal. I think he'll see his three-year deal out. And then he'll end up back in Europe. And he'll end up probably with an Italian club or, um, I don't know, a Turkish club. or He'll end up somewhere back in Europe. And I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll only be 31. He'll still have time left. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, I think I think he's decided that this is his best bet to make loads of money and, you know do whatever it is that he wants to do for a few years but I, I can't see it lasting well you know Alexander Mitrovic you we we raise a middle finger to you fuck off <laughs> no I'm joking I, I we we do salute you because he I think I think he still goes down as a legend but I just think and I do believe time will heal this it will um five years is a long time five years is a long time to be at a club and and yeah. be an important player at a club so I think history will remember him fondly Louis Sarhaz is is one of those players that benefits from history. Like he yeah, is quite. remembered by Fulham fans far more fondly now than he was when he first left. And there's an argument that he's remembered a little bit too fondly, considering he had a really good Division One season and then half a good Premier League season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I so you've just reminded of something you said just before that as you as well, Sarge. You said you know you were talking about the lack of authenticity slightly with with Hal Halal and the Saudi League and. I, <laughs> I, can't imagine this. Like the actors that were used as Fulham fans for their presentation of Mitrovic is something else. It's almost actually a bit of an act of war. Just getting these actors on, like on sacred ground of Craven Cottage, pretending they all know who Mitrovic is. And oh yeah, I love him. I love him. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's the best. It's just the most awful thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's great they bought the shirts, nonetheless. But like, I, I don't. That's, that's going to wind Tony Khan up like nothing else. Um, well, look, those speaking, shirts are eighty quid, so you know, yeah, we're doing extra, all right. It's an extra bit on the transfer fee. Well, yes, yeah, so that's that's what we'll come on to because I mean, we, we need extra funds apparently because it seems like we've we've pulled out of Callum Hudson Adoy because we can't get the fee <laughs> we can't get the fee we want from Chelsea. Um, I think we'll start there really quickly before we talk about strikers. That was announced just last night that we pulled out of that deal. Pulled out. I mean, I think it sounds to me like this is a deal I was actually quite looking forward to, but I think that actually. He must have wages that are 
ginormous for, for for us to be this stingy about a transfer fee. And I, I, if they if that is the case, I don't feel too bad about us pulling out when we could probably find someone just as good and and more with more actual uh, pedigree. You know, because he hasn't really done much. I don't know. I'm still of the mindset that. And I talked about this on the season preview, which I will continue to bring up because I like I like I like being I like being on it. Well, you were but on that I episode, yeah. You have to. Like, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I still I still hold into the fact that I think like Marco Silva is a manager that can get better out of or can coach players up to their potential. Like Callum Hudson-Odoi, I always thought when he was you know, well is at Chelsea, I always quite liked him. I thought he was a player that had a that had a bit of potential and maybe just it didn't work for him. But I think with Marco Silva, I thought that was someone that we could actually, you know what? If he is going to be Willian's successor or something on the wing and to give us and to give us the options and the depth of whatever, or if he's going to start and move you know, Harry Wilson back, for instance. I thought he was a player that I actually thought could do could do quite well for us. So when I read that we were pulling out negotiations for him, I was very, very annoyed. Because um, yeah. I genuinely thought... You I were the whole of Twitter, mate. Was, yeah, I know. Um, I saw someone saying that um, maybe, I can't remember if it was on our chat or on Twitter, that the, this was only really a backup option um, in case we didn't get Adama Traore over the line or something like that, and it just sort of petered out. I don't particularly, but I don't particularly believe that. I think I think Traore was brought in to be an impact sub, and Hadoy was being chased to be a starter. And I think he, I think he could have done very well for us. And when Thomas Sport, you know, I understand that Tony Khan might have learned his lesson from, you know, spaffing whatever amount it was for Angisa and whatever amount it was for. Seri, who while he did good in the championship, was not very good in the Premier League, and maybe say, okay, we need to start looking for more. No better value signings and everything like that, but to pull out of a deal for that for the amount of money that we were going for, no, I just, I just don't buy. I think that's incredibly bad director of footballing for uh, from us because I think he, I think he could have been not special but a very good option for us. I think it's a negotiation tactic. Okay, I think I think they've been looking at Hudson Odoi. This is this is Tony Khan one hundred and one. He wants to get the best deal. He plays the transfer market like he's trying to win the deal. That's that's what we've come to realise. He won the Leno deal, for example. Like, you know, right, that's, yeah. That's what he does. I, I think this is a negotiation tactic. I, I think they've gone, this is the price that we're willing to pay for him. He wants to come to us. These are the these are the sort of like the terms. I did, and this is a rumour, and it, I don't know how true it is. No, we love rumours, go on. I, from what I read, something that basically said that the the stumbling block isn't so much the price. The stumbling block is a sell on clause. So Chelsea want like a big sell on percentage. Okay. Of any future deal we do on Hudson Odoi, and, and that's believable that's as well. More, yeah. That's more the stumbling block than than the price. That's something I've read. I don't have it on good authority, but it may be a thing. I I think. We're, we've been looking at Hudson Odoi. I think we want Hudson Odoi. I think Marco Silva wants Hudson Odoi. But I think what they're doing is, is they're going, well, this is what we're willing to pay. This is the structure of the deal that we want. No one else has come in for him in this time. There's been little rumours that Palace were looking at him. There's been rumours that like you know Lazio wanted him, but he didn't want to go to Lazio. So I just wonder if they're going, look, no one else is making a move here. So we can hold fire it's been a long saga. If someone else was going to come in for him, they'd probably have done so by now and they haven't. 
Yeah. So this look just looks like one that's going to run until deadline day and the deal will maybe get done late and it will be done in a favourable way for Fulham. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, you know, we should be trying to get this, this deal done earlier, which clearly short on numbers. We need impact players. We need players that can do something at the top end of the pitch. Um, so I think, you know, it is, but it's a Tony Khan tactic. He will take it to the wire if he thinks he'll win the deal. And I think that's what he's trying to do. I think he's trying to win this deal. Uh, the same could be said about Damari Gray as well. I think the Damari Gray thing was sort of like to Chelsea, look, we've got this other option. We could go for this player who's a similar profile if you're not going to play ball. Um, Chelsea didn't bite at that. So we, um, I guess, you know, the Damari Gray deal hasn't happened. Maybe that's another one, though. Again, there hasn't really been any interest in him from elsewhere that seems to be going anywhere. So he might be another one that we revisit. But I think this is all negotiation tactics. I, I do think we'll still go in for Hudson-Odoi before the end of the window. And I have a feeling that he will end up a Fulham player. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I, I said to Baldo at the start of this topic that, you know, hasn't actually proven himself the past few seasons. But I, I do think there is something there. And as Baldo says, I think Silva can certainly get out of him. Um, you mentioned uh, targets at the top end of the top end of the pitch there, Saj. So let's, let's, oh, wow. Let's just go through all the names that, uh, that, that, that we've got. So I'll just, I'll just kind of ramble through these. This, this is what's all that's happened in the last few days, and I'll probably miss them out. Please correct me if I'm wrong, sir. Gift Orban uh, from Ghent. Um, I might murder some of these names, actually. Um, uh, Ekitike, or Ekitike from, Ekitike, Ekitike from PSG. Moise Keane from Juventus. Dominic Solanke from Bournemouth. Beto from Udinese. Balogun from Arsenal. And a faint, faint, faint rumour of Luka Jovic from... Uh, Fiorentina. Um, is there any one of those that you have got a particular favourite for? And I'll go to Bordeaux after that as well. I think Balogun on the Twitter poll seems to be the most popular option. I can understand why, but just uh, I also like Moise Keane, but no one else does at the moment. But anyway, just your, your thoughts. Do. Okay, good, good. Go on. <laughs> uh, I think Balogun is the the sort of the prize asset that seems to be on the market at the moment just because he's homegrown he's scored a lot of goals last season he plays for a reputable club I don't know what Marco Silva's after this is another thing that you can read in my piece that will be on fullandfocus.com tomorrow Wait. Um, <laughs> but um, it depends what we go for Marco Silva generally goes for target men that's what he likes to have and the thing that is different that has been different at Fulham since Marco Silva took over that he hasn't had elsewhere is in this team his target man has also been his goal scorer that's not been the case before when he was at Watford he had Troy Deeney Troy Deeney only scored two goals in the half a season that Marco Silva was his manager the goals came from Decore and Richarlison they got five each in that time Richarlison didn't score another goal after Marco Silva left Decore scored two more after Silva left at Everton, he had Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who played up front for him, was a target man. Top scorer was Gilfie Sigurdsson, and again, Richarlison, who he took with him from, from Watford. They both got into double figures. I think they each scored 13 or 14 goals, Sigurdsson and Richarlison. Calvert-Lewin, I think, scored six. So his striker isn't always his goal scorer. And what this might do is we might not be looking at Balogun because he scored loads of goals in France last season. We might be looking at a Beto who is more of a target man, scored 10 goals last season, 
but allows maybe the likes of Pereira to score more goals, allows Willian to get into more goal-scoring positions, Harry Wilson, or a new winger if we sign one. That tends to be how Marco Silva has set his teams up. So it might not be that we go for the player that scores the most goals. It might be the player that fits the system or a system that Marco Silva wants to implement without Mitrovic there. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's difficult to know who the best option is because whoever we take at this point is going to be a bit of a gamble. We're not going to get a sure thing. It's it's not going to, we're not in a position to, there's less than two weeks left of the window. Yeah. We are a, you know, a mid table team. We're not going to get a sure thing. Balogun would be a risk, especially for the money that Arsenal are asking for. We, we don't know if he can do it in this country. So he would be a risk. Gift Orban would be a risk. He's played in the Belgian league. What, How's that going to transfer? How's that going to translate over to the Premier League? Beto would be a risk. Serie A to the Premier League hasn't always gone well. So whoever we sign, is, it's going to be a risk. It just needs to be a calculated risk um, to try and get the best possible person for what we want them to do. But what we want them to do might not be to score 15 goals. It might be for them to score between 5 and 10 goals and allow others to, to chip in where they can. Yeah, I can, I can see your reasoning there, and I like it a lot. I, I, I like the Moise Keane vibe, not because, obviously, he's been scoring bucket loads in the last few seasons. I mean, I like it because I think that is a clear Marcus Silva potential target in terms of the fact that Marcus Silva actually signed him for Everton. I like that he can play on the wing and play up front. Um, I checked some stats and radar charts nonsense on Data MB, which Morgan would literally chastise me for even mentioning on this podcast right now. But the, the, his his sort of his wheel of colour doesn't necessarily drift too far off of what Mitrovic does. Um, yeah, so I, I like the Moise Keane vibe and I, I can understand the Balogun interest. I can, because 22 goals in the French League is no mean feat ball though, is it? And I think there is, obviously, you've got the full America vibe going on there. Now he's actually a, a, a mash... Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I do sort of follow on with what with what Sarge said. Is whatever of the of that list of players, the only one that isn't really a risk is Dominic is Dominic Solanke because we know what he can do in the Premier League. The others would be would be risks. And again, with going back to Balogun, for the fee that is being quoted, I just want to I just want to stay away from that personally. Again, he Balogun comes across as a, like a project player rather than the sure thing, and that just makes me, that just makes me slightly worried especially given the situation that we are in where I don't think I don't think without Mitrovic I don't think it is inconceivable for us to be in a relegation fight this season just because he was that important to us and yeah. I don't want to throw the I don't want to throw the fate of Fulham's Premier League chances on a 50, on a 50 million 21 22 year old it just does it just doesn't strike me again I don't know what the I don't know what the quoted fees are I know someone said sort of like Solanke we were looking for I think Bournemouth wanted thirty-five to forty million. We were going to offer thirty as like a starting point. Is was something I saw that I would be a little bit more comfortable with. I still think it's a little bit too much for Solanke, but something like that I'd be much more comfortable with taking taking the risk of. The names from the names from foreign leagues. Honestly, I haven't seen the play. I would just be going off stats. We know how stats can be misleading. We know how YouTube highlights can be misleading. Mm. So I don't want. I don't. I don't. I get. I don't want to touch any of them i don't want to you know i don't know what the italian i don't watch the italian league regularly i don't watch the french league or the whatever league regularly so i don't want to say anything about them fair enough i think as well what we 
and I, I went, meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about Hudson Adoy. I don't think we have as much money as people think we do sometimes. I, you know, I think we we are a bit restricted in our transfer dealings, and that's part of the reason that Tony Khan wants to win every deal. Um, I think we are tight on the FFP. I, I think it is an it is an issue, and I think it's been an issue for the last couple of years, and continues to be an issue through this window, which is why deals take so long to get done because I think the club put a value on a player and they they feel like we need to get this number of deals done and we can't afford to go past the budget we set for this particular player otherwise it has a knock-on effect to other deals that we may do and that's another reason I think the Balogun one is a bit pie in the sky because Arsenal yeah. are talking 45-50 million and that basically means any money we got from Mitrovic is going straight on another striker which means that we're not really banking any of it for our FFP I know it doesn't quite work like that with amortization and all that sort of stuff, but essentially I don't think we're looking to spend the forty-five million pounds that we're getting for Mitrovic on one player. I think we're probably looking to spread it across two or three. Um Yeah, I hope so. And I I, I don't think that I don't think Balogun is gonna be one of them. I just I just don't really see it happening unless they can come to a deal with Arsenal where it's like up to maybe forty five million if he achieves certain things, you know, if he scores a certain number of goals and, and in, in which case then he'd be worth it, right? If, if he achieves those, those sort of uh, clauses, then it means that he's worth 45 million because he scored 15 to 20 goals and we mm. got into Europe and kind of like the Leno deal, I guess, you know, Arsenal, yeah. we paid Arsenal, you know, 3 million for Leno, but affected that, you know, I think the deal said it was going to go up sort of like, somewhere around eight or 10 million and the likelihood is at this rate they're going to get that because we stayed up last season I back us to stay up again and every time we stay up they get more money for us so you know if, if we can structure a deal like that then it then it makes more sense I just think we're not going to spend a load of money on one player this window Bassi I was kind of surprised that we spent as much as we did on him to be honest um, not because he's not a good player, I just didn't think that we would stretch stretch the budget to, to that much on a single player. And you've seen the amount of times we've been linked with players and the value has kind of got away from us. There was Morato from Benfica. We were clearly he clearly looked like, you know, one of the first choice sign ins early in the window, but the price that was quoted was just not something that the club was willing to pay. So I think that'll be the case again. I think it seems that a lot of our targets that we're going for, um, well, the reason I think Moise King could happen as well is because of his ability to play on the left as well. Um, we, we seem to be in for Castagna again and again and again. He can play on the right and the left. And, and, and the reason I'm mentioning this is to your point, Sarge, that because we're so tight with FFP, that we could be actually looking for a lot of players that can be transformers and be sort of Swiss Army knives maybe. But, I, you know, I look forward to the days where Fulham, I'm looking forward to a change of scenery with Fulham where we're not just, you know, crossing in and we haven't got a target man all the time and actually we've got a striker who's got his you know his body to goal but I, I will say that uh it would be interesting if we had one of these really pacey kind of strikers like a Balogun you do think that we'd have to get a number 10 who's probably a bit more creative than uh than uh Pereira in some ways because of all the work that Mitrovic did he would do so many ways of setting up goals and I, I don't know if that would it's just going to be interesting, really. But uh, what I will say, Sarge, as well, there is one sort of thing that I've got in the back of my head. I got to keep doing conspiracy theories at the moment. But do, do you think there's any world where the Khans are? I don't know. Not. I don't know. I would say stupid because I don't mind the idea necessarily. Are uh, fruity enough to try and get um, a loan for Romelu Lukaku on deadline day? 
that is Tony Khan all over. I, mean, it, I would it is not a bit, be yeah. surprised at all. I mean, I don't think he'd yeah, come to us. But yeah. I don't, I, the, the reason that wouldn't happen would be wages. Unless Chelsea are going to supplement his wages massively, then we're not going to be able to do that deal. And I don't think they're willing to, because I think that's the reason that he's not already gone, essentially. Okay. I think, you know, the Italian clubs that are after him, Juve, Inter, the, the reason they haven't taken him is because they can't pay his wages. And Chelsea are like, well, we're not paying them. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if yeah. you want him, pay the man. Um and I think they'd almost, yeah, I, th- I think they'd, they'd almost rather just let him run down his contract than pay him to not be there. Um, sure, sure. They are desperate to get rid of him, but he, he's, he's not going to take a pay. He's not the sort of player that's going to take a pay cut. He's, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, yes, I could see Tony Khan sort of sitting there going, hmm, I have an idea. But yeah, I don't yeah, think twiddling. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to happen. What about just just finally? Well, we'll put this to bed unless uh, if uh, if anyone else got any ideas. But uh, I think Tristan was mentioning the idea of this just because there was an article that came out just last night that he's no longer in Fiorentina's plans. Luka Jovic, um, any any ideas on this one, Baldo? I'll come to Sarge as well afterwards. But I mean, uh, just replace a Serbian with another Serbian was at Real Madrid, didn't do as well. Then tore it up in the Bundesliga afterwards. Now in Italy, doing you know. Meza Meza, not too bad, but like just your thoughts on that. Because that could that's something I can imagine just coming out of the blue and then actually just happening really quickly. It is something I could definitely see happening, especially if, you know, we are in a position where we can offer, you know, decent, you know, decent wages for, you know, as a now what we would like to see established Premier League club. It's the sort of move that I can see I that I could see us making again, serve for a serve, he's a target man, all that sort of stuff. And again, just going back to what I said earlier. He would probably come at a price where, especially if he's not, if, especially if he's not in their plans, they want to get rid of him. I can see us getting him for a lot cheaper than we would someone like Balogun or Solanke. So, yeah. if we want to go back to winning the deal, as Sarge as Sarge put it, that comes across as someone that that I'd like to, that I would like to see us again would like to see us go for. But again, that is based purely off the stats rather than actually watching him with my own eyes. No, but that's all we have. I mean, like we can't pretend that we actually watch every fucking game. That's crazy. But yeah, I, I think that's right. Do you do you have anything else to add on that one, Sarge? Or uh, no, that's Bordeaux is pretty spot on. It, it would be another sort of like reclamation project. It would be another one of trying to get him yeah back to what he once was. Um, but Marco Silva's got previous with that. It, you know, it would be a gamble. But again, like I said, every, every one's going to be a gamble at this point Martin Yole said it years ago and I it's always stuck with me when Martin Yole was manager of Fulham he said and it was around the Berbatov signing actually he said Fulham have to take good players who are not in their best moment and try and get them back to That's or right. as close to their best their best as they can and that that is the kind of business that we are having to do at this point unless you have a Brighton star scouting system you are basically looking to take players that have shown that they are good, but maybe are having a hard time of it and get them back to being good. Um, we don't have a Brighton star scouting system. Only Brighton have a Brighton star scouting system. Even Chelsea, who's tried to steal Brighton scouting system, still do not have a Brighton star scouting system. Um, yeah. their, their signings are still not working. So it's, it's, it's so hard. It's so difficult. We're, we're not picking from, you know, you're not picking the best apples on the tree. We're we're picking slightly lower hanging fruit and hoping that it, you know, it is it still tastes sweet. That is kind of where we're at. 
Cool. And I, I, I think it's nice that we're all aligned on the idea that I don't think we're going to be spending all of our Mitrovic money on one player. That I, I think we'll probably spread it across three players. And I think that, yeah, the FFP thing is interesting. I feel like actually maybe things haven't been going as fast as we would like because we've been waiting on the Mitrovic fee. So, I mean, who knows? It's going to, it's going to be a crazy, crazy less than two weeks now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we might have to do maybe two or three pods in that time to sort of galvanize ourselves and what's going on. But look, we'll move on from this, Laz, because we're going to talk about more and more of this as we go on. Um, and I've got one in the all other business section. I mean, we could talk about you know, bags at the cottage. How was that? I'm not really interested in the bags at the cottage, the A4 bags. I mean, uh, unless you want to... I wasn't there. I, I, I didn't wasn't. go, so I, I don't have any experience of the bag situation. And also, I'm not someone to talk about because I'm not someone that takes a bag to game so i'm probably useless on this i can understand people's annoyance um <laughs> particularly with kids having a child myself who is not yet old enough to go to football but when i take him anywhere else there's always a bag with me yeah um so i can understand how it, it's a pain i but i don't know how i don't know how smooth it was I, I wasn't there at the weekend unfortunately so i can't really speak to to how that went well then i think we should potentially just have a look at arsenal then i mean i'm going to this game quite excited haven't been to the emirates before so it should be good fun um i hopefully we it's as good as a game as it was last season even though unfortunately we lost that at the end that was actually i think that was one of the worst one of the most annoying defeats actually of the uh season uh just last minute it was gut-wrenching to make to make that a defeat uh Sarge, what are your thoughts on arsenal so far this season mate Now's the time to play them, I think. They're adjusting. They're in an adjustment phase with, you know, a few new sign-ins. Um, they've lost Timber, who'd only just come in, but it looked really good. And they they kind of had a system that was set up with, with him in mind, and he's now not there. Um, so they're going to have to adjust again. They didn't look great against Palace this week. They look a bit... The, only, the word I would use to describe them I mean, is sticky. It, they just don't, they're not flowing mm. very well. They don't look like they're in the groove yet. I think they will get there. I think they're in that sort of phase of working out how best to utilize their new players. Um, but I think now is not a bad time to play them. It's not a great time to play them if you're Fulham because we don't seem to be in any sort of groove ourselves. But um, they, they can be got at. Palace... Palace gave them a tough game and, and caused them a few problems without necessarily looking like they were going to go on and win it. They Arsenal didn't look like they were going to steamroll anyone. So I think we're in a position where with Palinia back um, and, and starting potentially with... Yeah, I like that. I, 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 think, I, I hate to say this, but I, I, I think Harry Wilson needs to sit, sit on the bench. I think if Willian is fit to start, then you've got to play Willian left and Bobby Reid right. Um and and just get yeah. at them a bit. They they've gone to this system a bit like what City did last season, where they've moved to sort of like a back three and they kind of play like a diamond or box four in midfield, and then they've got their front three, and it does leave a bit of space in wide areas if they're not quite switched on and they don't quite have it down yet, where they they are all moving and shifting at the right times. Um, so I think we can stifle them, and I think we can catch them but we're gonna have to be very good it's, it's, you know we're not going to turn up there and and just have a have a great day it's going to be a tough game and we're going to be under pressure and if things go right we might be able to get something but it's this is a decent enough time to play arsenal i think 
it's a good step up as well for Calvin Bassey, who obviously will be placing Tim Reeve for this game. But although, I mean, I'd be very interested to see how he, he plays in this sort of game for all the weaknesses that Sarge just mentioned. But also, I think, you know, with Paulinha back, uh, hopefully... Uh, we can do ourselves a bit more justice than the way we played against Brentford. Just your, your thoughts on Arsenal, sir. I think I could pretty much, you know, you both took the words out of my mouth. I think this is a very good time to play Arsenal, you know, for a team that was, you know, challenging for the title last year. They do not look very convincing in these, in these opening couple of games of the season. So I think they are a team that can be got at. And if all our injuries, again, we're, you know, we haven't heard anything from Marcus Hill, but assuming, Yao Polina is good enough to play uh, 90 minutes, then that should be able to keep them um, at bay at least. You know, that was my thought when we played Everton. You know, however many shots they managed to get away that Leno kept, you know, if Yao Polina had been playing, they wouldn't have got half those chances. So I think it's pretty much the same with Yao Polina. I think they are a team that we can at least put up a decent fight against. I don't necessarily think we're going to win because I think without Alexander Mitrovic, we, I, don't see us really causing too many problems, too many problems up front, or at least as many as we could with Alexandra Mitrovic in the team. But I think there, is, I think we can at least we can at least give we can at least give them a go. And if we could put in a decent performance, then I think that will at least lift the mood from a lot of Fulham fans. After the past couple of weeks and everything, that if we can at least put in a decent performance, okay, we might just be okay for the rest of the season. Obviously, with a couple of transfers, you know. And what's the whole team bed in, as you say, like like Bassey, like mm. Reem, if he's still going to be our number one when he comes back from suspension. All that, all that, all that piddle of crap. Mm. If he if we can at least put in a decent performance, then we'll know we're we are in a good place. I think it yeah. I, I, another thing that Arsenal fans seem to be quite offended about is that the referee for this game is Paul Tierney. Um I don't know if Fulham have any bad history of Paul Tierney, but apparently Arsenal too. But uh, Paul Tierney doesn't apparently uh like doesn't like them at all. I, I have no. I, I've, that's all the information I've got about them and Paul Tierney. I, I think that what the last question I'll ask you, um, both of you, would you start Vinicius in this game? I would. I would give him a shot. I think the team knows him. They know him better than they know him and Ed at this point. Yeah. Um, and he's he's shown that. Look, Carlos Vinicius is not the answer to Fulham's troubles, but. He has shown that he can be effective. I, I, it's really difficult. I feel for him a bit because it goes back to the whole thing of like, how good do you expect your backup striker to be? And the problem we've got at the moment is, is that our first choice striker's gone. And so we're stuck with the backup who isn't going to be as good. Um, and it's all good and well sort of saying you should have a better backup. But the reality of it, it just, it's just not true. Look at Real Madrid right now. Benzema's gone and they've got Hosselu up front who was rubbish for Newcastle and rubbish for Stoke. He's been better in Spain more recently, to be fair to him. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's, it's tricky. I, I would not be against Vinicius starting, but then again, I wouldn't be against Raul Jimenez starting. If he's going to find form, he's going to need to play games. And Raul Jimenez's ceiling is probably a bit higher than Carlos Vinicius. So, I don't know. It, yeah. it's, it's short-term versus long-term gain, I guess. It probably is a bit higher, but what I will say is, Bordeaux, that, to, again, this is all hindsight, like I said earlier, but Vinicius is sort of the striker you want there at the moment while we're tr- transitioning without Mitrovic, because, I mean, he can, not as well, but do the sort of things that Mitrovic was doing, and he proved that in some of the games last season. It would make maybe a bit more sense for him to start as Jimenez, as Jimenez is, you know, bedding into the team a bit more. I, I, I don't know, I just feel like Vinicius probably would deserve this, if, as... 
you know, with Willian and Vinicius and Bobby Reed as the front three, I think we could. I think that might be our strongest way forward for this game. I I don't think so. I think Raul, I think Raul Jimenez was brought in with the idea that if Mitrovic went, he would be number one. I don't. Okay. I'm not in a I'm not in a position to give up on Raul Jimenez just yet. Again, wait another wait another couple of weeks. If it's not, then yes, you know, as Sarge said, Carlos Vinicius, he's he's used to the team, they're used to him and all that sort of stuff. I I'm not I'm not in a position to give up on Rahman. So I would I would start him. I can see I can certainly see the argument for Sarge Vinicius, but I just don't I just don't think it's I don't I don't think it's time yet. I think you know Jimenez has got um, I'm assuming off right off the top of my head has more experience in the Premier League than Carlos Vinicius does, you know, with us last season and then um, his time with Spurs and everything. I just, I would just trust uh, Jimenez in this situation more than I would than I would Vinicius. Score prediction, please, and then we'll call it a day. Go on, Sarge. Uh I think we're going to lose this one. Unfortunately, I don't think we're in a position to to go to the Emirates at the moment and think that we're going to get a result. Um, it's hard to see a scoring, but I think we might be able to nick something and just catch them, catch them off guard a bit. I think two-one Arsenal um, is a an optimistic, <laughs> an optimistic outlook on it. Nice. All right, I'm going to go two-two, um, and I'm going to say the winner will be a Jao Polinia volley, forty yards out in the ninety-third minute. Yeah, that's what I'm going. Hang on, how could how could it be a two-two and a winner? Well, it feels like a winner. Sorry, you know win what I mean. I, I, I'll be dancing and screaming if it's two-two, like it is a win. I promise you. Yeah, sorry, a two-two winner, not a two. Sorry, two-two draw, not. But it'll feel like a winner. Bordo, your prediction. There we go. We got there in it. Um, I'm, I'm sort, I'm sort of on the um, side. I think it's, I think it's going to be a one-nil loss. Personally, as I said, I can't see, I can't see us causing them too many threats with what we have at the moment, and then with, I think we can. At least keep them at bay for a certain amount of time, but I don't think we'll be able to keep them out all the way. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a one nil loss personally. Fair enough. I mean, it's just it's going to be if we do lose, it's not scary. It's not scary to lose to Arsenal, and it's not scary to lose to Man City. It's just it would potentially be three uh, defeats of the bounce, and then you just start to get a bit like oh, second season syndrome, Marco Silva, second season in the Premier League. You just start to get a bit. Uh, Panicky, but it, it, the but transfer that's why window that winning as Everton was so good because it, Indeed. it gives us three points to just we're off the board, and there are teams in the league that haven't won a game yet, and I believe that will still be the case after this weekend. So well, yeah, well, we're still above Chelsea, aren't we? I mean, that's that's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's end on that. That's fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thank, thanks very much for being with me. Um, it's lovely to see you all, especially back from holiday in the back in nice old Blighty. And we will be back. We will be back with a reaction to Arsenal. And we'll be back with also previewing it, Fancy. And I'm sure we'll be talking about lots of transfer activity. Maybe Eric Dyer will be with us and we've swapped to Matosa and Adarabaya. Maybe Lukaku will be with us. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do, but it's going to be very entertaining, that's for sure. So we'll see you then. Bye. Fulham.